Well, good evening. My name's David Vaughn. I'm so glad you're here. Man, I remember the dates. I mean, they're like burned indelibly in my mind. April 28th, 1984. December the 6th, 1993. Those are the two dates when our two children uh, were born. And there is nothing like the day your kids are born. And then it gets better when your grandkids are born. Now, you tend to forget the dates on those, but it's just as exciting. But being a parent, it's like the best thing ever. There's nothing better than bringing kids into this world. Now, initially, it's euphoria. I heard about this young mom who said when her kids were young, they were so cute, and she loved them so much, she thought she'd just eat them up. And she said when they got to be teenagers, she wished she had. Okay? (laughs) Some of y'all can relate to that. Nothing better than being a parent about the birth of your kids. Because parenting at the initial part, the first stages of life, is pretty easy. Uh, But I don't know if you've noticed this, parenting is hard. Coaching the next generation is hard. I saw this uh, one-minute clip on video of some children's t-ball games. Have you seen this yet? Check this out. Kind of looked like the Reds there for a minute. <laughs> Clearly, they had good parents. Taught those kids how to pick up be responsible, not leave stuff behind. But he's going to show you coaching, parenting is not easy. And spiritual coaching and parenting is even harder. We've been doing this series on spiritual growth called, uh, you know, revision, revising yourself, refining yourself, refreshing yourself, redefining yourself. We're using all kinds of words to help you reinvent, recalibrate yourself and your life to renew and refresh yourself spiritually. It's been quite a journey, and we have been doing some spiritual polling among our church in order to recreate ourselves. And so uh, you may have seen this chart last week. Micah did a great job, but this is a spiritual growth chart that we've been tabulating on an ongoing basis. These are the actual results of our congregation who have taken this 400-ish so far. And all of us start here with exploring, kind of baby Christians. And then we move into what we would call child growing. And that's the majority of our people, by the way. And then we move into close to Christ, which is great. This is kind of like being an adult. And then what I want to talk about is this last category this evening uh, as we uh, finish up this series about what it means to be Christ-centered. Now, everybody here tonight, whether you took the survey or not, is in one of these four categories. You just just are. It's just the way it is. And there's no shame in whatever category you're in. 
Uh, I have a gal in our church, a member, Lori Enright, who's my co-host for a radio program called The Rev Radio Show. And we were talking about that this week on air. Sometimes you ought to check it out on Eagle Country on Sunday nights at 7. And we talk about all kind of stuff. And Lori said this week she took the test, and she said it was great. I thought I was killing it. I thought I was doing good until I realized I came out to be a child. Second category, which is not abnormal. That's where a lot of us are, okay? But she said what disturbed her, what was sobering to her, is it's okay to start as a child, but she has been a member of this church for six years. And she said, I felt like I should not be here. So she has outlined some steps, some plans to recreate herself and get to the next level in, over the next year. Now, a couple of beginning observations here on spiritual growth, because I don't want you to get hung up on the chart. Number one, spiritual growth does not determine your standing with God or his love for you. He loves everybody no matter where you are on this chart. In fact, for some of us who are just starting the process, he may, his love for you may be even greater because he knows you're just starting and the devil is fighting against you every day and he wants to help you. Number two observation, spiritual growth is not measured by the calendar. Some of you just started out on your relationship journey with God. You, you just like right out of the batter's box, right? Just like those kids. Yay, God. Some of you have been growing as a Christian for like 22 years. Yay, God, you've moved right up to where you need to be. But what is disturbing is that some other people have been one-year Christians 22 times. <laughs> they just never can't get past that. The other observation I would say about this, and you're going to hear it more tonight, this is critical and important stuff. Don't fluff it off. We want you, we desire, we are praying for you to grow up around here, to build your life so deeply embedded in Jesus, to have your roots be so deep that you can withstand the test of time and the times of testing. We want you to not just attend this church, it's great when you start out, attend, but it's far better to be the church, to be Jesus wherever you are. The ultimate goal is to be Christ-centered, not just to be kind of like Christ, but to be Christ-centered in everything you do. So that means you want, we want you to be Jesus where you hang out, you know, where you work out. If you're some of our students, where you make out. I mean, we, we want Jesus to be everywhere, Okay. So let me show you a scripture, 1 John chapter 2, this idea of recreating yourself and renewing yourself uh, spiritually is found in this little book of 1 John. And John gives kind of the same kind of three categories, three of the four that we've been talking about. Here's what John says, I'm writing to you, dear children, and that's the first stage, children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers. Because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men. Okay, he kind of reverses order. Kind of, I'll have to ask John about that when I get to heaven with you. Anyway, uh, somebody said, if I get to heaven. Uh, we'll talk about that another day. I'm going to ask John when I get to heaven, how come you didn't put like children, young men, and fathers? Because that's kind of how I see it. Uh, in, but he puts fathers in the middle of the children and the young men, which is probably smart. But I'm writing you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And then he repeats himself. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm going to come back to that line. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. 
All three of the stages of the four that we've talked about are here. Those of you in audience tonight, some of you are children. Yay, God. Some of you are young men. Yay, God. Some of you are fathers. That's really what I want to talk about. Moving you from being a young man to a father. What are the two signs? I want to give you two tonight, just two. What are the two signs that you are, have got to the place where you're in this last category of that graph, where you're a spiritual father, a parent, or you're Christ-centered? You're not just surround Christ, but he is within you. He's the center of your life. The first one is what John says. I pick, I, maybe you picked up on my emphasis. First sign is that you know God. You, you don't just know about God. You know God, the one who is from the beginning. The word know here uh, implies and means intimacy or deep personal knowledge. You know God. You know your wife, biblically speaking. You know them up close and personal. They're in you. You're in them. And this knowledge is something that you cannot fake. <laughs> you either know God or you don't. Now, there's an interesting, fascinating passage. Just kind of keep your your finger mentally right here. I want to flip over and show you another passage in Acts 19 that has an awesome example of the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Acts 19, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So Paul is a Christ-centered guy, no doubt. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were t that were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now notice verse 13. That's the cool part. But look at verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demons possessed. So Paul's got all this great power. Maybe there's some jealousy. There's some people who say, I can cast out demons too. I'm spiritual. They, they tried to, to do this. They would say, notice what they say. In the name of, G, of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. No, it's not in the name of Jesus that I preach. They're kind of, it's secondary information. In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, now, there's a good name, nickname for seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief, chief priest, were going about doing this. this. This makes me laugh. One day, the evil spirit answered them. They're trying to cast demons out of this person. Notice what the demon said. Jesus, I know. That, that, that word, no, that's the word we're talking about. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit, jumped on, uh, evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, I'm telling you, this is funny. These guys are out there trying to cast out demons. They have a formula, but they don't have a power or an anointing. They're trying to do something in the name of somebody else from not intimacy, but from secondhand knowledge. See, Authority, spiritual growth, comes from intimacy. Jesus is not a formula. You have to have an authentic relationship. And these guys, they try that. They try to do the work of the Lord without knowing the Lord of the work. And the demon just opens up a can. Well, he opens up a can and he takes care of the business right there. I just think that's funny. There is danger in trying to do God's work without the knowledge of the Holy Spirit and God's Spirit in you. 
One of the most devastating things you can do is try to do God's work without God's Spirit. To not do it in His way. So some of us, we were raised in a religious environment where we checked out. We had a formula, do's and don'ts. We're doing it in the name of somebody that we think we know, not in the name of Jesus. Spiritual adults, parents, they are God-centered, they're Jesus-centered, and they start to look like Jesus more and more every day. So whatever category you're in, especially if you're in that, those first three, as you're moving to spiritual adulthood, you're a spiritual parent, you should start to look more and more like Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you will ever fully arrive. You'll never fully be perfect and look like Jesus. Only one perfect man ever lived Jesus. It, it, it'll never be you. It'll never be me. So don't lose heart. Don't even try it. You'll never be. You're getting to heaven not because of how good you are, but because he is perfect, and you're not. My buddy Steve Naltner owns a couple gas stations here in town. Steve attends here, and he's in my small group. And I'll never forget a couple years ago when we had all-in service, Steve went all-in. And we couldn't wait to get back to small group the next Wednesday night after Sunday and hear about people's experiences and his with all-in. And Steve came to small group. I'll never forget this at my house. And Steve came over, and I said, well, how are you doing with all-in? He said, let me tell you something. He said, I decided that I was going to see how long I could go without sinning after I got baptized. And this was Wednesday night. I said, well, how did you do? He said, I made it to Tuesday. I said, no, you didn't. <laughs> now, Steve has grown a lot since this. If you ask Steve now, he said, looking back on it, I don't even know if I made it out of the church parking lot after I went all in. Because you have a more awareness of sin. So Steve is growing. He's blossoming. He's moved through these categories. So you don't have to go without sinning. He died for you on the cross, so you have no sin. But as you move to Christ, your walk and your talk should start to match. I have been convicted lately that my assignment from God that I will answer for someday, not you, that assignment I'm going to have to answer to God for someday, is not how nice this building looks, how big our attendance is, how large the church is, how great the music is. I will be held accountable for this. David, how many members of the church that I gave you to pastor look like Jesus, think like Jesus, and act like Jesus in ever-increasing ways? See, people in the adult stage who are close to Christ, they serve, they give, they invite, they group. For some of us, that's a big step. You're not Christ. Those are just givens. When you're, you serve, you give, you group, you invite. I mean, it's like, like breathing. But when you move to a spiritual parenting phase, a father phase, you move from just doing things to leading things. You start to lead ministries when you're an adult, a parent. You start to lead a small group. You don't just consume anymore. You, you start to lead, not only do you give, you start to think of giving initiatives whereby the church can be blessed by your finances. One of the things that I've noticed that men and women struggle with when they get to be spiritual fathers and parents in the giving category, they have to do business with not how much I give now, but they wrestle with how much I, ha I should keep. When you're young, it's like, what's my minimum I could give? When you get to be a spiritual parent, you struggle with, you know what, this is what I need to live on, and I'm going to try to give away the rest. See, spiritual parents are, are not consumers. They're not even contributors. They're curators. They're multipliers. 
So this leads me to the second sign that you know you're a spiritual parent, if I understand the Bible correctly. And I've been doing a lot of reading about this. It's this. Spiritual parents, an adult mature person, is able to reproduce themselves. They reproduce other mature disciples of Christ by inviting others to follow Christ. Paul said it best, follow me, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Let me just pause for a minute. Could you say that about yourself right now this week? Hey, to this new person in our church, this baby Christian, follow me as I follow Christ. Do what I do. I'm going to try to be like Jesus. Do what I do. This coming weekend, could you say to a baby believer in this church, follow me as I follow Christ? In the way that you serve, in the way that you give, in the way that you live your life, could you say to new people who are watching you, and they are, follow me as I follow Christ? See, parents intentionally invest in others. They make disciples who then make other disciples. Spiritual parents, how do you know you move from really an adult to a parent? You reproduce, you recreate yourself. And when you look at your kids physically, they usually have a lot of your characteristics, <laughs> good and bad, do they not? You know, sometimes uh, people will say, you know, to me, you're just like your dad. Now, I take it as a compliment, I think. What, what do you mean by that? Is that good or that bad? We are going to look like the people we spiritually reproduce as well. What we do is what they will do. What we say is what they will say. What they believe is what they, they will believe. Some of you in this room are spiritual parents. Thank God you're a great example. But hence the series title. Ultimately, we are called to recreate our faith, our life, and another. So there are some phrases that you will hear spiritual parents make. Things like this. You know what? Instead of just going to the hospital by myself to see one of the members in my small group or in my class or in the church, I'm going to take Steve with me to go see Bob this time so he can watch me pray and learn how to minister. Or you'll hear him say stuff like this, I'm going to pour my life into one other person in this new year, and I'm going to mentor and I'm going to disciple them. Who is the one you are pouring yourself into? Not just the one pouring into you, but who are you pouring yourself into? Or and here's one that's coming up that all of you can participate in. I'm going to sign up to be a stride partner for the next All In. We're going to start out the new year, January 2nd, Thursday night, January 5th, Sunday, with an All In. We've been having dozens of baptisms. I don't know, but I just led to believe we're going to have more. But we want to partner. Someone comes out of the water with a person to just stride, go through a Bible study, and, and say, well, Dave, I could never do it. Yes, you could. Friend, it's not complicated. But at this stage and age, full devotion to Christ is normal. Paul said it this way to describe how he lived his life. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul was not just close to Christ, he was Christ-centered. Here's how you know when Christ is at the center. He is the hub, the hub of your life. He's not a spoke. A lot of people in the church treat Jesus as spoke. They put me as in the center, me as the hub. But when you are mature, you put Jesus at the center. Jesus affects everything you do, all the decisions you make, all, all your time, how you spend your time, your talent, your treasure, is screened and processed. It's refreshed. It's recreated through the hub of Jesus. And I spend my money like Jesus would want. I spend my time like Jesus would want. I'm going to use my talent how Jesus would want. 
Most people don't have Jesus at the pub. That's why the number is lower than the other. They, they put self at hub. And Jesus is kind of like a spoker, worse yet, he's on the outer ring and he gets the leftovers. Our goal, our goal, listen to me now, lean in. You watching online, listen to this. Our ultimate goal here in this church, my new goal, if you want to put it that way as your pastor, is for us to be fruitful and multiply. The first commandment in Genesis, in the Old Testament, God said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. God, when he wiped out the earth in a flood because of sin, he said to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. So let me just be a little candid and bold with you as I finish out my message here tonight. If this is your first time with us, indulge me for just a moment. I want to just kind of speak to the church family. I want to cast some vision. Because every organization goes through seasons chapters in their story. Solomon put it this way. He said there's a time and a season for everything under heaven. Let, let me just give you a, uh, just a clip of that from uh, Ecclesiastes 3, just a little bit of the verse. Solomon says there's a time for everything, a season. A every person, every life, every church has a season for every activity under the heaven. He says there is a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant. There's a time to uproot. There's a time to kill stuff. There's a time to heal stuff. There's a time to tear down. There's a time to build. We just went through a couple years ago, a time to build. He goes on and lists all these different times. Blessed is the man or woman who knows what season they are in. This is true. There's a time for everything. This is true for every person in this room, every person walking, watching online. This is true for every company. This is true for every school. This is true for every church. This is true for every sports team. <laughs> Would you not say that there are seasons of victory and seasons of defeat when you're a Cincinnati fan? Would you not say that? I, mean, I don't know if you heard the Bengals are renaming the stadium Chick-fil-A. Did you all hear that? Because they don't work on Sunday either. Uh, anyway, I, uh, oh, oh, that, you'll get that later. Every season, every team, every organization has a season. And we have been in cycles in the life of Whitewater Church, and I've tried to diagnose it. I've been your pastor for 17 years. And we have been in seasons where there was decline. Wasn't going good. Not a lot of people finding Jesus. Not a lot of people attending. We've had seasons of division. I just call it God's math. There's seasons of decline, seasons of division. There's seasons where we've subtracted people. People just walked away for some good reason, some not so good. That's when it occurred to me as a preacher because it's so hard in my heart to see people get one to Jesus and then just walk away from the vision. Uh, but this is when I learned that people come to your church, not people come through your church, not to your church. Through your church, not to your church. So we've had seasons of subtraction here. But we have also had seasons of addition where dozens and dozens of people find help and hope in Jesus. It's God's cosmic math. But if I could just be real with you, not that I wasn't real before, but just let me be real with you. We, for some reason, have plateaued a bit as a church. And now you won't notice this from your seat, but as leaders, we notice it. We're stuck on some things. And my heart says this, stuck stinks. It stinks. There are so many wonderful things happening around here, but we, for some reason, have been struggling 
to move past this like 2,000 number in weekend attendance regularly here. I mean, we, when we came here, you know, 10, 11 years ago, uh, you know, we're just 350, so we've had a, a pretty good run. But we seem to be stuck at that number, and I keep asking myself, why? 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 And when you're a leader and you're used to growth, it's baffling, it's frustrating. But we have hit some barriers clearly, and we, I have come to the conclusion, after a lot of input and advice from some very smart people, that our stuckness is not because God's unhappy with us, it's because he's very happy with us, but he's given our stuckness to us as a gift, it's not a curse, because it causes us to stop and think about why we're doing it and how we're doing it and what is our goal. I think God has created some stuckness to change our mindset so we can multiply. It goes back to what I'm talking about. Perhaps God stopped our rigorous numerical growth pattern for a reason so we could recalibrate, so we could refresh, so we could recreate our attitude and our goal to get to a place we never could have gotten any other way. So I am under the impression, after listening to God and thinking and praying and even fasting some about this, that it's time for our church collectively to start to multiply in the way we think. To not just get bigger, that can't be just the goal, but also to get better. And what I found with businesses and other churches who reached this number, who struggled, by the way, certain plateau churches just hit no matter where they live and where they are. But if we're not careful, our past success will cloud our future success. Because success tempts you not to ask hard questions or change anything. So our stuckness, our plateauness, forces us to re-examine our approach, and that's what we're doing. Could it very well be that we have plateaued because collectively because a lot of us have plateaued individually? Maybe you just kind of been coasting for a while in your own life. Just a thought here. Because we are the culmination of everybody here. Maybe you're not as thirsty for God and hungry for God as you used to be. And that has a ripple effect in a positive or a negative way in the life of the church. So our current season of stuckness, our current phase, has caused those of us in leadership here, especially on our staff, to ask this question, what's our scorecard here? What is our scorecard here? We're talking about spiritual growth now. Talking about numerical growth, but spiritual growth. What do we measure here? Ask what is most important to measure, and you'll find out what a person's, what a church's scorecard is. Let me tell you the easiest thing to measure here. Bodies, how many come? And it's the highest attendance the church has ever had in its history. Make no, we're not like failing, but we're stuck. It's easy to measure bodies, bucks, we, we, how, many, how much came in offering, and then square footage of buildings. Bodies, bucks, and buildings. So when I have people asking me, how many people were in church? What's the budget? How big is our building? We need a different scorecard measuring not just who comes, but who goes out. We have got to move from just attracting people, which we're quite good at, to sending people. From addition to multiplication. Think of the difference between exponential and linear growth. It's the difference between compound interest and simple addition. Now, maybe you're not a banker, but how many of y'all know about the magic of compound interest? Yeah, those are people who got money. 
<laughs> you either got compound interest working for you. Get you. Let me show you a chart. You can look it up online. There's different ways to do it. Here's a guy who invested 24000 from age 21 to 41, and another guy who didn't start saving till 47 to 67. Same 20 years, same amount of money, 24 and 24000 But at 8% interest, the guy that started earlier, because he had time, this is how much he accumulates. The guy that started later, this is how he accumulates, even though they both chipped in, started 24000 What is this? It's exponential growth. This is linear growth. This is exponential growth. Time. It's the magic of compound interest. So we have been adding members, but I don't think we've been multiplying disciples and disciple makers. So you'll hear us talk in coming days about multiplication. How do we multiply ministries? How do we multiply disciples? How do we multiply ministers? How do we multiply missionaries? Just like the Briscoes do. The Briscoes that we just introduced you, they're going to, to the Middle East. When they leave, our attendance here on this campus is going to go down because they got like 28 kids. I mean, it's, it's something. But is that a loss or is that a gain for the kingdom? It's a gain. Our goal is not like to house you and just get bigger. Our job is to, our goal is not just to get people in the church, but to get the church in people and send them out for the one. Not just to kind of sit and soak, but to go. And so you'll hear us talking a lot, a lot in coming days because we believe that this vision of multiplication is so hot and, and I think it's such a, a, of God after checking with people and contemplating. I, I'm convinced that the next run of our church is not addition, it's multiplication. It's in a couple of years becoming multi-site. To do that, because we have a DNA worth replicating here, it's going to depend on you. We're like a 103-year-old church here. But we want to be a church that grows and reproduces itself for another 100 years. We want spiritual kids. We want spiritual grandkids. There's no way you can multiply and people just sit. So you will be recruited. You will be wooed. You will be prayed for. You will be asked to jump in with everything you are. We're going to kind of have that Home Depot motto, you can do it and we can help. It is time for you to turn yourself loose. If you've been in this church any length of time, you have this in you. This building is wonderful. I'm so glad we have it. But it's a tool, friend, to train and equip to send you out. When my attention gets distracted by the physical, I'm no good in the spiritual. And so this is all wonderful, but without the people of God and the Spirit of God, I don't want the seven sons of Sceva stuff happening. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but David, I don't know who you are. What are you missing out in your life because you haven't grown in Christ? A better question, who is missing out for eternity because you have not accepted your mission. This is one of the most talented churches I have ever seen. Unbelievable. Preachers would die to switch places with me. People, people, we have a history here. We have a reputation. It's wonderful. I don't care about that. What I care about is what is God calling us to do now better than we are now, what is the mission of this church that goes beyond just these walls? And I want you to start thinking about that.
fact, I'm going to ask you over Thanksgiving to reflect on what I have said here today. I want to ask you for Thanksgiving, don't just think about the turkey. Some of y'all are already thinking about the pumpkin pie, I know. Don't just think about football. Don't just think about family. I want you to ask yourself this question. What is my personal mission here on planet Earth? Not David's mission, not the church's mission to find help and hope and home in Jesus. That's cool. What is your mission? Why did God put you here now? What purpose? And if you're not dead, God's not done. So here's your Thanksgiving assignment. You didn't know you had homework over Thanksgiving break. Yes, you did. I'm going to invite you to write out and just take a stab at your own personal mission statement. Well, David, I don't know how to do that. How, how would I know that? Well, here's how you know. You ask yourself these questions. What is causing me pain? That might be your mission, to fix that pain in others. What is my problem? What is my passion? What is my gift, my talent, my experience? Where am I hurting? That's probably where God is prompting you to. These all inform your personal mission. And once you get your personal mission statement, I almost said once you get your PMS. That probably wasn't, uh, that's, that's probably not good. Once you get your personal mission statement, then decide what your next steps are and move toward that. That's your spiritual growth plan for 2020. We have a great platform here. I stand on it quite frequently. Our church is, has a great platform in this corridor. Friend, my job for as long as God keeps me as your pastor here from this point on is not to develop this platform, it's to develop your platform. We want to resource you and equip you to fulfill the purposes and the priorities of God in your life. I'm inviting you to the game. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to know all the Bible. All you have to say is, Lord, send me. But you've got to have Christ in you, the hope of glory, and he's got to be at the center of all you do. And that's when life and church becomes the greatest, funnest adventure of all. So if you are in any of these categories, I'm asking you to move whatever it takes in 2020 to move there. you got some space in your bulletin to start thinking about it. That's your Thanksgiving assignment. I'm sure we will hear more from you, and you'll hear more from us. But it's all about recreating not only individuals. We have an individual mission. It's about recreating our collective mission. Because we're sitting in a church of ministers and missionaries, and there's more in you, and you know it, than you got right now. And I'm, I'm just doing all I can to draw that out of you. Because life is so short and eternity is so long, and you are the perfect person to be a father, a spiritual mother and father, and a reproducing adult. And that's my prayer for you. So we're just going to close out our service by having communion together. During communion, it's a great moment for you just to pause, for you just to think about the mission of Christ. He fulfilled his mission to seek and save the lost. I'm asking you to start to, may the Holy Spirit just start to look in you, think in you now about your own mission. And we'll hear some music. And after everyone is served, we'll pass out two cups. After everyone is served, I'll come back. We'll partake together and we'll close out our service. Let me pray. Father in heaven, much, much, much to talk about tonight. The ramifications of some of the thoughts and what you've put in my heart 
to share this weekend, Father, will ripple out in ways that only you know. So I challenge our church right now to think reproduction, to think recreation, to think about knowing you, not knowing about you, and help our church, God, to figure out how to multiply and not just add, how to create disciple makers, not just attenders. This is so critical. That's what you've called your church to be, and we are at our best here in this church when we do just that. So now, Father, as we reflect on Jesus' mission, which is really our own, to seek and save the lost, as we hold these emblems that cost you everything, I pray the Holy Spirit would work in our life for our own mission. In Christ's name, amen. Hey guys, so glad that you joined us online today. Keep in touch in the future. Again, you can text the word NEW to the number on the screen or PRAY to the number on the screen, and we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.